Hi, I'm Tim Kennedy of Lowland Properties, and you're listening to the SME Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey guys, thanks for downloading the show. We got an awesome episode today with Tim Kennedy of Lowland Property Group. Lowland Property Group is a commercial real estate asset management company with a focus on acquiring and managing long-term value-add properties that are well-located in urban settings. The properties that they usually put are usually in close proximity to public municipal, sorry, multiple public transit options and amenities without intensifying the neighborhoods. Lowland Property Group has over 85 years of combined experience in all different sectors of commercial real estate. So Tim himself, actually, he's been in the commercial real estate game for a really long time, actually, when I started looking through his profile. Like he started off as a sales representative just within Cushman and Wakefield, moved up to First National Financial, where he gained all the way up to uh, assistant vice president in commercial financing. From there, he moved on to KPMG as the director of real estate. And now he started his own business back in August 2017 as the principal and co-founder of Lowland Property Group. So today's episode is going to be on the commercial real estate space. Uh, usually we did a few episodes with uh, real estate agents and real estate brokers for more on the residential side and even the investment side. But this one, we're going to tap more into the commercial real estate side, which is going to be very interesting. I think you guys have a great time with that. So with Tim, I actually have known Tim since about 2017 or so, where actually I was the best man at my cousin's wedding. And uh, I guess my cousin-in-law or my sister-in-law, sorry, uh, one of her, her best friends is married to Tim. And that's how we met. And I remember meeting him and we went over, I think we were just chatting for the first time. I think we chatted almost for like an hour straight just on commercial real estate because that's an interest of mine. So you guys are going to sit back and enjoy the episode and uh, sit back and absorb. All right. We have Tim Kennedy, Lowland Property Group. How are you doing, my friend? Good. Doing well. Yourself? Well, let's see. We're recording this on a Tuesday and tomorrow I'm actually going on a vacation for almost uh, two weeks. So nice. uh, Mrs. K and the kids and I, we're going to do a, a few days in Florida and we're going to be going on a Caribbean cruise right afterwards for about a week or so. Perfect. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, you know what? Have you been on a cruise? No, never. All right. Well, I'll let you know how it goes, but I haven't been on a cruise since 1995. So I'm assuming technology have changed on boats since 1995. And the only reason I mention this is because I remember my parents bragging to me when I when, when they got this uh, deal to go on this cruise a long time ago. And I said, why is, I wonder why they're so bragging about it. We get to the cruise. It's honestly a senior's cruise. So I was wondering, I'm like, why are there so many grandmas and grandpas around here? I don't get it. <laughs> so any kid that was on the cruise, now, now obviously Tim and I, we, did, we went to different schools, but generally... There are certain people you kind of, you gravitate towards and certain ones you don't. But when the numbers are so limited, the kids that you wouldn't make, you probably wouldn't hang out with in regular school start to look pretty good because there's just so few of you. So (laughs) that is my little spiel for the cruise as I'm counting down the hours before we actually take our flight. So Uh, sorry. It'll be great. (laughs) My mistake. So anyways, back to this, Tim. So Lowland Property Group, my friend, what is your story? Yes, it's not an unbelievable story here, but it was something I would say very early on in my career, I always knew uh, I had that sort of entrepreneurial sort of twist uh, to myself. It was something I always wanted to do. I started off sort of in in brokerage, which is a pretty entrepreneurial line of work regardless. uh, And that sort of turned into some other sort of business development jobs as well. So it was something that I always wanted to do. Uh, and through the years, uh, I sort of built the the connections and the contacts you sort of need in commercial real estate because it, it's not something everyone perceives as a small business. Uh, and, you know, it very much is if you're not sort of Oxford Properties, Brookfield Financial, those type of groups. Uh, it is very much a, a regular small business and you have a lot of the same challenges. Um, but uh, I was able to put the contacts together. Uh, and made it happen. COVID sort of provided that uh, opportunity. Did you find a lot of business coming your way when, when COVID kind of started this whole thing? Where Because I know for where I work right now, there was always the question of what do you do, right? Because then everyone's kind of working from home. You have all these office leases that 
I don't think the banks took a break on the leases and gave them gave them like a rent relief or lease relief. It, they're still so people are still paying it. And uh, so, did you find a, an influx of of business that way, or are people coming to you and saying, you know, can I break my lease, or, or Tim, what can I do? Yeah, um, you know, different parts of the industry were different. Different locations are different. Um, so there's a, a lot of unique conversations out there, but but generally. You know, the market, as long as it's going up and down, there's always opportunities to be had. Uh, it's when th- when nothing happens and things are stagnant, that's where you get in a lot of trouble. So uh, Lowland was, was active sort of on a part-time basis, limited uh, activity on a part-time basis for a couple of years before we really sort of fired it up uh, at the start of COVID. Um, but at that time, you know, our, our investor partners sort of said, okay, well, let's, let's do this for real because, you know, they're aware up and down is okay. Uh, if you're paying attention, uh, it, it's when nothing happens, that's when people get in trouble. Interesting. So, so what, what led you to wanting to start Lowland? Cause I know obviously when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, you were pretty active in the industry, right? Like you said, you start with brokerage and, and sales and stuff like that. And you worked at a bunch of different things, right? So what was the tipping point that made you realize that, you know what, you know, I'm working for somebody else, which is, I'm sure is fine, but I'm like, I think I can probably do better on my own. So what was the uh, transition like, or what, what was that shining moment? Yeah. And better is, um, you know, I'm always careful with that word because, you know, better means something totally different to, to different people. Uh, there's the, there's the financial aspect of it and there's the, you know, lifestyle. Uh, and, and then there's sort of that, you know, can you sort of satisfy that sort of burning desire within yourself to achieve what you want to achieve? And then, and, and so there's, there's a bunch of different levels there, but, uh, I, I was, I think, uh, you know, a fairly comp- competent broker at the start of my commercial real estate broker at the start of my career. Um, I worked for sort of a boutique shop in Toronto called Ashler, uh, urban, which they don't exist anymore. They got bought by Cushman and Wakefield a couple of years after I, I moved on. Um, but that taught me to sort of learn how to find an opportunity and learn how to sort of envision what something could be or, or how you could possibly create value um, as well as, you know, put together, you know, find a tenant to go into a building and, and structure that deal. And, and so that was one component of it. Uh, and as, as brokers, often feel like they're they're the most important part of a deal. They are a very important part of a deal, and, and I, I felt that way. Um, but I felt like I had a big picture then. But what the sort of aha moment, I, I guess, would be when I transitioned from brokerage to real estate finance, uh, learning that side of things, um, I really realized how much I didn't know about other components of, of what it takes to run a a real estate company, and I think finance is often a black hole uh, for a lot of real estate entrepreneurs. Um, I, I think they just assume that there's debt out there, and and debt generally looks like X, and 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 you know you're off to the races. You, you put together a package, and people will be lined up around the block to to give you money, and it doesn't really work that way. So once I navigated that by running my own team at, at First National, I went, yeah, okay. I think I can put enough of these pieces together and add enough value um, for for investors to be intrigued. Um, so I think my time in finance, that, that's when I had my sort of aha moment of, yeah, I can do this. Can you unpack that then for the finance piece? You said it's like a black hole. So when people usually look, think of it, they think of it as like, uh, oh, okay, yeah, there's some debt. Can you break it down a little bit more? And obviously, you're not getting too many nuts and bolts to the fact sure. that it might go over some people's heads, but just from a layman's point so i even i can understand it tim yeah some of the missing pieces in the real estate finance piece that not many people realize yeah so i think the you know the the most basic way of it is you know when you think about financing your house um you know people look online and they they see what mortgage rates are and and i think that's the first and i'm not saying that there's you know you know mid-sized commercial real estate uh companies that look at it like this but like that's the first layer of it is someone goes, oh, well, I can finance 80% of my house at, you know, now what is it like over 4% or something like that. But, you know, even six months ago, you know, two, two and a quarter percent, two and a half percent or, or variable less. 
And that's sort of that first layer of understanding. Oh, okay, well, commercial is going to be different, but maybe it's not that different. And that's the first sort of giant misconception about commercial. And, and you know, it's how long, let's take an office building. So you have a, a 50,000 square foot office building. Well, what are the things that are going to really matter to the bank? Well, number one is, is it fully leased? And if it's not, how much vacancy is there? And and the difference between 100% and 10% has a meaningful impact on, on your financing and 10% and 50% is even, even greater. And it all, it all sort of pushes you in different directions of who can you talk to? So if you're not 90 to a hundred percent leased up, uh, a bank is not going to talk to you. Like a, one of the, you know, the large banks, they're not even going to look at the deal. They're not going to think about it. They'll just tell you to go somewhere else. And if it's, you know, if the leases, even if you're a hundred percent leased up and your average term in the bill in the building is two years, banks probably not going to look at it again. So, you know, a bank might be today 5%. They might loan you money. But then if you don't get money from them, uh, you might be, you know, 6%, 7%. And it might be interest only. It might be, you know, the the debt looks totally, totally different. And that's the part that people don't fully appreciate. There are so many different types of lenders. There's so much different money out there that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And on top of that, just like, I guess, in theory, when buying your house, but it's different because there's this added layer of financing that's more complex, is every single person or every single group that's trying to buy that property that you're looking at, they're going to arrange their financing potentially in a different way. And they're going to get different rates. They're going to get different leverage. They're going to get different structures. And it changes what they can afford to pay compared to what what you can and it changes everyone's return as well so it's a it's a massive part of the deal just like your home that is your biggest partner your lender is your biggest partner they're buying anywhere from 50 or buying they're lending anywhere from 50 to sometimes it goes crazy 90 percent or or more and in some cases uh, of that asset and you got to keep them happy and, and their money needs to make sense for you as well. Yeah. And I, I think, sorry, and just to backtrack a second. So when, when people, when Tim's using the word leased up, they just want to make sure that if there's, let's say 50 units in this office, they want at least 90% of those leased up for someone that there's actually a paying tenant in there. So if you find, let's say a commercial property, even if it's a small one and it's like only 10% leased, Going to a bank and, you know, to sell them, all right, yeah, I got this great deal and the rate is good and the, and the bank's going to start asking questions like like Tim is talking about, how, how is it leased up and also the length of the leases. Because like you said, even if it's 100% leased out, if all the leases are expiring, let's say 12 months from now, that's a big risk because you never know if, if you renewed it because they want the law, they want any lender, they want stability. They don't want to be surprised because if they're they're giving you their money they want to make sure they're going to make something on it and they're they're not going to be like seeing something in the news where they're like, oh, there's a huge reno and we're going to have to kick out a bunch of tenants because we have a, an asbestos renovation job we have to now finish. Totally. And I can't tell you how many times at First National that, especially early on, where clients of ours brought us deals and said, hey, I got this deal. It is like the value is 50% of market. And, you know, there's all these good things happening. Boom, 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 boom. And the broker in me would go, this is an amazing deal. This is a home run. But then they'd say, well, you know, all my tenants are rolling in six months, but that's the opportunity because they're also paying 50% of market rent. That's why the building value is 50%. I'm taking on all this risk, but the writing's on the wall. This is a home run. This is a slam dunk. This is easy. And I would know that, but that is not the lenders, you know, it's not their job to take that risk. That's not, they're not getting compensated for taking that risk. When you're making 3% on your money out as the lender, you know, you don't really want to take any risk. 
Hey you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness, corporate training and e-learning, announcements, documentaries, and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Exactly. You, you, you want as minimal risk as possible. Right? They don't want to take a chance. That's why for some people who want to start a business, whatever business it is, if the bank had to choose between your business and let's say a franchise of let's say a McDonald's or a well-known franchise, they're more likely probably leaning towards the franchise because they know they have everything. It's it's stable from that perspective. They know the brand, they know the systems in place. That's versus me saying, yes, I'm going to start my own thing. I need it. I need space. I'm going to work on my processing. So please give me money. You want to get a quick no, then say that to the bank. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. How, how many units do you have right now? Because I know and the only reason I ask is even though I've been on the website, I see you have a bunch of properties already under management. Sometimes websites don't get updated as often. So how many uh, you know assets do you guys are managing right now? Yeah. So we're units is a good question. I, I, don't, I, sh- I should have that, but I don't. We have 12 buildings right now uh, in the Waterloo region. And that comprises of about four hundred and fifteen thousand square feet of space. Wow! And these and these these twelve units you're talking about are they offices? Are they retail? Are they industrial? All mixed in between? Yeah. So low. Yeah, lowland is is a purely opportunistic uh, la- like landlord investment vehicle that that has a long term focus. Um, so we we buy, we reposition, and we hold. Uh, but we are opportunistic, uh, so we don't necessarily have uh, a single lens and a single strategy. We have industrial um, and different types of industrial. We have, uh, you know, a bunch of different office buildings, uh, and we actually have some, basically one residential development site, which is not. Uh, something we want to be a big player in we we have philosophical reasons as, as to why we we don't want to but uh this was a a good opportunity and and we think we'll be able to build good product um so that's sort of a one-off but uh yeah mostly commercial assets nice and just so the listeners know when we say industrial we don't mean like you know manufacturing manufacturing is a part of industrial it could be a lot of different things too right we can talk about warehousing we can talk about self-storage and all these different they all kind of classify under that industrial space, right? So yeah, yeah, we just own the box and the land, and and then it, it's up to someone else as long as it's within zoning for them to do whatever whatever they see fit. Excellent. And so, so how big is the team that you have right now? I mean, all these units under management. I can't imagine you're the only guy on the on in the company doing it. I assume you have some help. No, but you know, up until recently, up until November, we were two. Uh, and uh, now we're three, and the other person uh, before of the two is in BC. So in terms of on the ground, you know, I, I am the guy on the ground, uh, and now, you know, very happy that we have two of us on the ground and three of us involved. Uh, it makes a big difference, and hopefully we'll have a fourth uh, this year. That's the goal. So how much growth do you think you'll be making this coming year? Because obviously with the demand being all over the place, like do you see – a few, like a small percent growth, a big percent growth that you'll think you'll be able to do today or not today, this year? Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's tough. So 2021 was a big year for us. Um, you know, we we grew on a relative basis in, in, a, in a massive way. Uh, we bought uh, six, six of our 12 buildings last year, and that ac- accounted for more than double uh, the square footage that we had uh, at the time. So it was a very, very big year for us last year. Um, This year, we, in our business plan, uh, we had put for similar growth. However, you know, the interest rate environment changes things dramatically. Um, And and that's not uh, from a available capital standpoint uh, or, you know, the ability to, to, do more with with the resources that we have all that is is that when interest rates go up so quickly uh it it changes the return metrics for everything that you're buying and then often what happens is a vendor's expectation a seller their expectation doesn't change quickly you know if someone says hey i have this 
building that I think it was worth $10 million. Well, just because rates have more than doubled uh, or doubled effectively uh, in a short period of time, they don't say, well, yeah, no, now it's worth eight. They, they, you know, they, they want 10 in their mind, they have 10. So they want 10, but you know, apples to apples to get the same return. Now you got to pay just for argument's sake, I'm throwing a number out there, eight in order to get the same return, but they, they don't shift their expectations. So it creates a, you know, this, this is what I told you about the, the stagnant, you know, up and down is okay. You know, when nothing happens, that's not good. And so, you know, that's sort of what's, what's happening because rates are only going to move more, you know, more over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. And no one knows how fast. And if it moves slowly and it's predictable, people can make decisions and they can say, okay, well, in the next, it takes me 90 days to close the deal. Over the next 90 days, yeah, it might go up a little bit, but it's not going to go up tons, so I can, I, I can manage this, and I'll price it based on that. But, you know, you saw the last 45 days in the commercial world, they went up a percent. And, you know, that's a massive impact on, on your return. And if you think that it could go up another percent in the next 45 days, how do you make a decision? Um so that's where we are in the market, and it's not just a unique problem to us. Basically, anyone that's not sort of a REIT or, or a major institution, uh, they're having issues. If you if you borrow traditional real estate debt, you're you're struggling to pick the right price right now. Yeah, and even from the residential side, right? I think the challenge is is that the market has been kind of going like the demand for it is 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 really high. So even with the when the pandemic hit, all the rates were really low when they started cutting the rates and cutting the rates to try to make it more affordable. But the problem with that is that everyone wanted to get something in terms of get a house, get a property. So the, the price of the houses didn't really, it almost like it went up a little bit more to the point that, uh, you know, I think from when I was talking, because a lot of my, probably some of my guests have been like the realtor from more on the uh, residential side. You know, we were talking like, it seems like there's more multi-generational families just saying, or maybe just a bunch of friends instead of saying, if, if me and my friend can't do it, maybe if we add a couple more friends, we can just lump our money together. So it's not like the prices went down. So when the government decided to start jacking, not jacking the rates, but increasing the rates, they're trying to slow down the growth of the price and the demand for it. So then we can kind of level off. That's what they're trying to do. But like, like Tim was saying, it's, yeah, they're trying to do, but the problem is, is that, uh, like you said, it's like if you're trying to make a decision on it, and if the rates are going to go up, he's he, Tim's totally correct. The return metric, what you think your money's going to get by doing that, is going to change. Versus if it's like you said, prices going, you know, the economy's doing well, and all that sort of stuff. So interesting. So what is uh, so? There's three of you guys right now. So what is your in terms for expansion? Are you guys looking to get like an actual office space for yourselves? Do you want to keep it more remote? So even though, you know, and I know the listeners will not be able to see it, but even though I'm in my basement right now, that's just because my, my son is under the weather. Uh, we actually have an office space in one of our buildings. Um, so we're, you know, our space is in downtown Kitchener. So we do have a physical physical space uh, where, you know, two of us and an intern go uh, every day, which is, which is great. Uh, I'm not just pro office because... Uh, we own it. I, 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 you know, I'm pro office because I, I've always enjoyed sort of working around people and, and uh, engaging with people, sharing ideas. And, and, and it's been a really wonderful and, and creative process for me. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we have space. Excellent. And I think that's the thing too, right? Because we're in the the economy now where everyone's used to working remote and it, it is tough because, you know, even though I don't miss the commute personally going to the downtown office here in Toronto, you know, I do miss the camaraderie, like Tim was saying, is just chatting with your coworkers and stuff like that and bounce ideas off. Because you can only do like Zoom or Microsoft Teams conversations for so long. Even though Tim and I can physically see each other, it's different than if we're literally face-to-face in, let's say, a boardroom or something where it's, you know, in that type of environment. So I, I totally feel you on that one. It, although the commute thing is still a bit tough for me. So whenever I have to go back to the downtown office, it's going to be you know, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, can, uh, I, I can appreciate that part. <laughs> so now we're talking about, uh, so it looks like when a lot of people want to get into commercial real estate, I think most people think of real estate, they think of residential. They think, oh, I got to be a broker. Actually, I got to be a real estate agent and maybe a real estate broker. 
Is there any steps to actually becoming a commercial real estate uh, broker? Is it is there a big difference between the two that the average Joe who wants to get into it? I think barriers to entry, um, it, it's a little bit tougher. Um, the licensing is the same, which if you ask the commercial industry, they wish it wasn't um, because like for the most part, all the course content and, and the focus is is made for residential realtors for the most part. Um, the commercial brokerage courses, et cetera, they're pretty basic and they, they don't really paint the full full picture, but the licensing is the same. So in theory, anyone that does one can do the other. Uh, the bigger challenge is that I would say, especially over the last 10 years, commercial real estate has institutionalized at a, at a very rapid rate where, you know, whether it's brokerage or the landlord side or developers, there's more MBAs, CFAs, CPAs. There, there are there's stronger talent going from the traditional capital market side to uh, commercial real estate. It's been obviously a very sort of popular and, and sexy industry during this you know big boom. Um, but it is so that makes it it challenging. You know, even if you have a license, you know, and a degree and what have you, to actually get into a shop. Um, is is challenging uh, so that that's number one to, to get a job in one of the larger commercial real estate firms or strong local players is, is tough and I, and I wouldn't recommend um you know every, there's still opportunities for success but i i think joining a more traditional residential brokerage and then doing commercial you're not going to get the same type of support and mentorship and, and all, all that so Getting in there is tough, and then once you're there, like any brokerage, the first few years, it's hard. You're trying to learn the business, but also make a name for yourself, and and uh, you're not living off of much. Sometimes a little bit of commission that someone throws at you, sometimes a very, very basic, you know, salary. Uh, you know, I... I <laughs> I remember I, I could barely pay rent as my my salary the, the the first year. So, you know, those those are the first sort of it's a barrier to entry that's a little bit different than residential. If they're going to go into this, they have, and that's why I like having this people on the show to say, you know, it's not all you know sunshine and rainbows. Like it's nice the idea that you can start your own thing and all that sort of stuff, but there is a lot of things you got to realize about, and that's why we want to talk about the real stuff. It's as as great as this is when listeners hear like, oh my god, he already has like twelve buildings and. 400 over 400,000 square feet or anything like, Oh my God, how am I going to get to that? Or is it impossible to even, you know, do that? It is possible, but you got to grind. It's not an easy, it's not an easy job to do, but also you have to remember that what Tim is talking about going through the experiences of building it to that. I'm sure he didn't go in there thinking, all right, I think I'm going to start my own thing. What should I do next? I'm sure he had some ideas already in mind of how to do it. And it's a lot of luck and, you know, it's luck and, and obviously, you know, there's definitely hard work and there's definitely relationship building and, and without the relationships, you know, I, I'd be nowhere uh, and it's a very relationship heavy business. Um, but look, it, it's a lot of luck. I, I ended up my last summer job in university was to be an intern at the brokerage that I ended up starting full time, starting in full time after my last year of university. I never wanted to be a broker in university. If he'd asked me, I would have gone, no, way too salesy. Don't want to be a part of that. You know, would have said no. Then there I was. I was a broker for five years. And then when I was a broker, I would have said, I never wanted to get into finance. All you do is say no. And, you, you know, you're, it's boring. And you're not sort of like hands on the operation of the deal or that's had an opportunity to get into finance. I really liked the people at, at, at the shop that uh, brought me on. So I said, why not? It's a new experience. It's something else to learn. But I would have never guessed I would have been in finance. Um, so I did that for four years. And, you know, those pieces uh, allowed me after, you know, a short stint at uh, KPMG, those, those pieces allowed me to sort of do my own thing because I built these relationships, but I built this skill set. And so it's hard to plan this sort of stuff. And I think if you plan it, you can get in a lot of trouble. I think the best thing to do is is always, you know, do the best you can at something. You know, work hard and and treat it like it's your own. And, and good things happen, and and eventually, you know, things will come together. And if your goal is to do your own thing one day, you know, 
This is only my advice. It doesn't mean much, but, you know, don't necessarily try and plan every step. Let it happen organically. Things will come together. You'll meet people that will make a bet on you. You know, our, our, our investor partners, they're mostly people I've met along the way that said, Hey, look, if you ever, you ever hear of a deal or if you ever do, do something on your own, let me know. I'd love to take a look. And, and, and so there wasn't necessarily this, this giant, it was still meaningful, but giant leap of faith uh, for Lowland because I already knew that there were, you know, 10 or 15 people that had said to me in the past at one point, if, if you're ever doing your own thing, just let me know. doesn't mean they're going to write me a check, but it's an easy call to make when you are ready to do it. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. It's almost like the accidental owner kind of thing where, mm-hmm. you know, like my, one of my previous guests, like she like just released recently, she was a social worker and she worked at a hospital and it got to the point that she was getting a lot of patients through the hospital that said, Hey, if, if you're going to do your own thing, let me know. And so she almost started her business as a, okay, uh, sure. Right. So it's similar to that. Well, obviously a little bit more complex with, with especially commercial real estate, but the fact is that they worked with you on previous deals. They liked what you were doing. They can, they, they put their trust in you to at least consider, all right, maybe I can just work with Tim directly so he can get, you know, I don't know if they're saying, oh, he's going to make more money with me versus if I go through where he's currently working, you know, that can be the case. But no, that, that's a really good point that you touched on that. So what are some other, so you, we talked about expenses. Obviously, when people think of the most expensive thing you're going to get in commercial real estate is actually the property, right? But is there other expenses that, uh, you know, for someone who's, at least considering the space of, you know, maybe going into commercial real estate that they probably don't realize that uh, they actually have to pay once they're doing this. Well, you know, I think it's more, it's the unpredictability, just knowing that you're not going to be able to predict everything, you know, it's, and, and then with commercial real estate and not the residential, you know, isn't expensive. Um, That's not the case at all, but generally if you, you know, if you inspect a home, you're investing in a home and, and you inspect it. Yeah. There's things that will pop up, but, you know, your major things are, you know, it's a, a furnace, it's an AC unit, it's the roof. And and generally, yeah, it can be a lot. But if you inspect it, you know, there are $5,000 costs here and there. Gener- generally, I, I'm being a little bit cheeky, but as long as you know, you know, you have a good inspector, that that's, you're probably going to get dinged one or tw- once or twice for $5,000. For commercial, uh, even just the zoning and the history of the land, uh, you know, Whereas in, in res, if someone's living there, you don't need to do an environmental report for your home. Like the bank doesn't need to see that for financing. You need to see that in in commercial. So you know, doing your due diligence is not just looking at what's there. It's also been what's been there, and you know, are you know, are, are your easements really clear? Are, are there right ways that can get you in trouble? Is there contamination on the property that can get you in trouble down the road? Because if the groundwater is contaminated and that's from your property, even if you didn't own it when it was contaminated and that moves off site, you can get in trouble, you know, later for that. And it can be, you know, it can, the buck can stop with you, which is, which is why you got to do all this sort of due diligence up front. So it, it's that. And then obviously the costs in commercial are, are big, you know, at a, an HVAC unit, can easily be thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars. You know, your your roof can easily be, depending on the size, it can be millions of dollars for for industrial buildings. Um, so you you really have to do your homework up front so that you're not surprised. And you know, if it's your own money and you have that money, which you know is not all of our own money, uh, but if you're fortunate where where it is, and look, you get surprised. It sucks. I guess you move on. Uh, but when you're managing other people's money and you've said that you've done all this homework uh, and something happens, well, you, you better have a good explanation why that that happened and you, you didn't catch it. It happens, but uh, you know they're they're big ticket items. And I think the only way to run a commercial real estate company is is you have to you have to have the capital there because if if you're not, then you're not running it the right way. Your tenants aren't happy. You know, your investors aren't happy. You really got to do your homework and it's capital intensive. Do you have a small business story to share? The SME Stories podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success, failure, and everything. 
If you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone would be a great fit, please contact us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. That's northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. You know, so Tim, if I said, all right, Tim, I got this great property. It's near the lake, surrounded by gas stations and a smelting plant. Is that a good deal? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? And it could be. It could be. Maybe. You could price it right. You could price it right. You could have all the information that you need. But I think the important thing is, you know, the idea in res lately where in the last three years, four years, where people just go, they go firm on everything, right? No, no conditions. Right. You know, no I'm conditions. buying my house, no conditions, because I'll never be able to buy it if I want a conditional period. That almost doesn't, almost doesn't exist in commercial. Um, you know, you're usually tying properties up for 30, 45, 60, 90 days, and you're spending ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on getting reports done by engineers and you know the like to learn everything that you can. And that money is at risk because if 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 at the end of that due diligence period you go, yeah, you know those twenty gas stations around me, they make this really contaminated, and I can't get out. You know, if I get in trouble, I'm 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 screwed. And you walk away. Well, that $20,000 that you spent drilling holes in that property to learn, you know, what was in the groundwater, that money's gone. Yeah. That's a pursuit cost and, and that's gone. Um, but if you didn't spend that $20,000, the, the, you know, the money you're going to lose down the road is far worse. Exactly. And also, too, is that we have to realize as well, especially if you're going to look over taking over an office or any type of retail, you know, the, the pro forma statements that you get from the current owners might not be exactly accurate. Now, for those who are not familiar with pro forma statements that you get, so if you're looking in a prospectus, so you know, you're thinking about getting this particular property, whatever it is, they can kind of guess what they, they you kind of look through it and they're saying, yeah, here's all of our tenants, here's how much they're paying, and here's how much the expenses are. So, you know, you really, you have to really do your due diligence to figure out, okay, are these numbers correct? You know, are they accurate? Because obviously, it, everything they their goal is to try to get if they're trying to get rid of their property they're going to want to try and bump up the numbers as great as they can so that people like Tim who have to who have clients that want a piece of property they want to say oh see look it's this is a profitable investment so it's definitely something you guys want to look at Tim almost has to be the one that has to scrutinize it and work with his team and work with the owner and say okay here's the risk we can go it says it's profitable but based on our looks uh, I don't know if it's the numbers are correct so we might have to either bump down our price if we want to try to get it because we don't know, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and you know, not to get too technical, but it, it can, you know, sometimes it's not them necessarily sugarcoating. It's just that standards uh, have changed. Uh, and for instance, sometimes a lease, it'll say, oh, 3,000 square feet. And the measurement standard that was used when they originally did that in, you know, 1990 is different than it is now. And now the way that you measure um, might be, you know, 2,800 square feet. But if that, if you multiply that over 15 units, that has a massive impact on, on what you're getting at the end of it. Yeah. Um, you just don't want to be caught holding the bag. Exactly. So, all right, let me ask you this question here. This is all related to the industry. So we kind of talked about already that you see the industry that, you know, it's a bit, it can be a bit challenging because we know rates are starting to go up. And uh, so that's probably what the current trend is at this point. Um, so but let me ask you this. So you've been running Lowland for a few years already. So what, in, in your opinion, what has been your biggest failure, but also biggest success thus far? Now, 12 units is nothing to sneeze at. That's actually really good. So was there anything you can see right now that you, your biggest failure and your biggest success? Failure is, is tough because I think especially at this you know, stage and, you know, yeah, we've been around for five years, but, you know, I think we're still very much a startup in, in my mindset. So I think, you know, everything that doesn't necessarily fall your way is, is a learning experience. And, you know, I, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had a quote unquote failure that has, you know, had a, a massive um, impact on, you know, in a massively negative way on, on our return. Maybe, you know, we bought one one deal, our first deal that we bought, uh, we actually probably got a little bit saved by the market. It was something where, you know, we, we bought a deal for a good price 
And, but it was a heavy reposition. Like I, I'm telling you, we spent, you know, much more on renovating the building than we did to buy the building. Uh, it was a uh, turn of the century, sort of like 1900 type building, beautiful property. Uh, but we basically turned into a new building and uh, without getting into too much detail, I, I think the thing that I learned is that no matter how many years experience, uh, no matter what you think the reputation of others that you're relying on, you know, contractors, consultants, whatever, you really need to be in the weeds every step of the way until you've built those really strong relationships because people that you hire, and I'm talking about third-party consultants and third-party contractors, they either won't care as much as you because it's not their, you know, they're just doing a job for you and not everyone is honest. So, you know, that that's one thing that I think we, we learned that I guess was a failure, um, you know, a project that we had could have been better. Uh, and it was just, you know, you really every step of the way, not just 90% of the way, every step of the way, you got to be um, in it early on, at least. And once you start building the relationships, then you definitely can rely on people. Uh, and there's many, many, many amazing contractors and amazing consultants that we have now that, you know, I can call and say, hey, give me a price for this. Go do that job. And I know that the price is going to be exceptionally fair. And the work that they're going to do is fantastic. Um, so I think that's one failure. And that's a good learning experience. I think everyone needs to know. And I think that from a lot of people, I think I remember hearing from a podcast host that I listened to as well. And he always treated it when he was working, when he works with, whether it's suppliers or clients, he basically says, like, look, I don't want a one night stand. I want a marriage. So we're, ta we're, we're talking like you're building your business where you have to rely a lot because you like with commercial real estate, yeah, you have. The contractors are going to do any of the any of the, the build fixes and all the renovations. All the, then you got the consultants as well that has to do all that stuff. So you don't want the one that, you know, these are just one-offs and you're never going to see them again. You want to try to make sure you're giving them enough business because then they're going to give you a better price. But also you that trust level is there, especially if you don't have that in the beginning. Like you're coming in square one. You're like, okay, where do I find the right, uh, right consultant to do this? Whether it's environmental or asbestos or anything else that could be very specific that you need that skill specialized skill set you have to be very careful with that so in terms of fees then i know it's going to depend on job there tim so do consultants cost more generally or in terms of like i'm talking about for expenses when you're running your your commercial real estate practice you know you have you have your contractors that are going to do the, the building and renovating you have the consultants that's going to give you feedback and all that sort of stuff which do you find uh is surprisingly expensive that uh i guess people lean towards are the Contractors more expensive, or are the uh, consultants have? Uh... Yeah, it really depends on depends on the job, and 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 honestly, for the most part, you know, you can't use this as a rule of thumb, but you do get what you pay for. You know, I think a, a dangerous thing is is picking the bottom quote, or even picking the second from the bottom. Generally, you you, you do get what you you pay for and and that's not just quality but sometimes you know generally contractors is a great example usually they're all getting the same sub sub trade quotes for the most part what you're really paying for is is overhead and you know sometimes overhead for certain jobs is totally worth it sometimes it's it's not but you know there are contractors that they do all their own bookkeeping they do all their own you know accounting like that they do their project management and so you pay them very little overhead because it's just them. And then there's groups with teams of, you know, 50 behind them. And and that overhead is, is very expensive. But on a complicated project, I guarantee you paying, you know, someone with a lot of overhead is probably going to save you money in the long term because as jobs, as surprises happen um, and you, you get more time because time is critical in construction you know time costs more than anything else uh so if if you're not getting the turnaround that you need uh then that can cost you cost you a lot so i, I don't have an answer between consultants and, and contractors it really depends on on the job um but uh yeah once again it, the more you know the more it saves you because they're early on you, you can definitely 
feel like you need consultants guiding you through sort of many different scenarios. And, and when you've seen a bunch of, you know, weird ones, then you can say, look, I, I've seen this before. This is what we need to do. I, I, you know, I don't need to pay someone, you know, a few thousand dollars to write up a report here. I, I know what we need to do here. So yeah, it, it's really a, a sort of a job by job basis. No, and that's perfect. It's good to know as well. So so we talked about, you talked about, you said a challenge and failure. We didn't say about this. Is the success the 12 units so far? Or is there, you know, was it that first unit that was your biggest success? You know, like when you first land that first deal, you're like, wow, I actually have an asset now. Yeah, that, that part's cool. Um, and I, I always thought, you know, certain assets would have a, a special sort of place in my heart, but they all sort of do almost equally like children, I guess, in a, in a way. Uh, but really, the, the most rewarding thing was, you know, in no, I guess it was October, uh, was making our first, you know, hire, like an employee hire. Uh, to me, it was something I always thought would be rewarding and, and was creating a job. Uh, you know, it creates a definitely a different layer of pressure. Uh, having someone's life, uh, you know, their ability to pay for things, Uh depend on on how you drive revenue that's big, that's through the business pressure, it, actually. It, it, it it was you know it is and i know lots of people do do it but for me it was something that was very rewarding pressure you know our guy might listen to this but our guy is really good uh and you know if it wasn't here he'd be somewhere else just just fine um but that was probably the most rewarding milestone for us and i i think every time we hire someone in the future that'll be far more important than than the building uh, because it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, you're making a real impact on people's lives and they're making an impact on your life. Like the amount of time that got freed up, you know, he's, he's account accountant, uh, the amount of time that got freed up just dealing with our accounting for us, uh, the other two partners, it was just uh, phenomenal. So it made a big impact on my life as well. I think for a lot of people thinking, oh, man, I can't wait to start my own thing. And, you know, they see themselves, you know, rolling in money. I know that's not the case in this case. But just for the fact that, you know, when you bring in that first employee, not a, not a contractor that's, you know, you're just paying them an hourly wage. You're talking like a full-blown employee. It's like you can't just easily say, yeah, I'm just going to walk away. It's hard because let's say you built your team to, you know, say five employees, 10 employees. And the funny thing is the definition of small business is anything less than 100, right? So if you, let's say you're on that close to level, you're almost at a hundred employees as an owner, you're responsible for all these people's paychecks, right? So you have to be very, there, there is that, like you said, that different level of pressure. The first part is just trying to make sure you're sa- you can get sales, right? The second thing is, okay, try to make sure I get, not just get the sales, but my customer service with my clients so they can keep giving me sales. And then it's all this admin stuff and all that other stuff, all the overhead stuff. But you also need to know that, okay, I bring in that person. I'm responsible for them paying, you know, their, their mortgage and look after their family. So it's a very big, big thing here. So yeah, I can see that. It's a very big milestone. It's really nice. Now it's time for tips from the pro. We're going to go for tips from the pro segment here. So this is the one where people are more, it's more commercial real estate specific, which is actually, it's funny because you went through a lot of it already, but uh, I guess I'll ask you some of these questions here in particular. So I'm new to the commercial real estate space. I remember, let's say I'm, I'm going to start to venture out into my own commercial real estate firm, uh, Tim. So in your opinion, is there like a specific niche within the commercial real estate space that uh, someone just, that's starting would go should go into? Should they try office? Should they try retail, industrial, or land? I don't know. What, what, what's your opinion right now? If you were to try to advise someone to say, Tim, I'm going to start my own thing. Yeah, I've, I've always been a contrarian um you know for good and for bad uh you know i I would have been the guy 10 years ago that said hey don't put your money in condos in downtown toronto because it just it's already 450 dollars a foot it doesn't make any sense and here we are it's like 1500 dollars a foot and more and so you know uh but i am a contrarian so you know if if someone was getting into commercial real estate you know, even as a broker and just saying, where do I spend my time? I would say, hey, well, like industrial is super hot. So that's probably overpicked. And there's a bunch of people rushing to that. And it'll be really hard to set yourself apart, whether you're a broker, whether you're an owner, 
you know, any of that, it, it, it can be challenging uh, as starting out. Um, this is, I think, different for experienced people, but starting up. So, you know, what got hit really hard at the start of COVID that's starting to come back, you know, retail is. Um, office hasn't yet, um, but it, I think it will. So, you know, that would be some advice is try and go where where others are not uh because competition is what really makes it just adds another layer it is very challenging to do really well if everyone is going in that same direction interesting all right so how do you keep on top of the commercial real estate industry so is there websites you can recommend or subscription magazines or or websites that you go to to get your information so if i was to do this where would i be able to where should i go to for that yeah, I think for Canada, there's there's one, there, there's a number of ones, but the one that really stands out to me and and they'll love this is uh, Renex. Uh, dot, I should know. Dot ca. So Renex, uh, they are, it's R E N X. Dot ca. They're sort of like the the deal and and personnel news source uh, for the industry. So I I think you know most people inside and out that are looking for sort of what's happening, um, that's where they go. Uh, the other thing that has become sort of free uh, over the last few years, you know, the major brokerages, CBRE, Cushman, Wakefield, Colliers, JLL, you know, those are the really the four big ones, Avis and Young, five big ones. All of them have their own research departments that are, are massive, like, you know, you know world-class research um and a lot of the time you can sign up for free reports through those websites as well um so if you want something a little bit less newspapery and more sort of data you can get a lot from that so ranex is great for you know getting to know companies and people and deals and what's happening um and then if you want to supplement that with data the brokerage houses are, are phenomenal for that. Interesting. So if I'm going to start my business then, uh, Tim, so what should be like the first thing I should I should get? When you're starting something commercial, obviously we're not going to say get the property first. And we're not saying, you know, either maybe your, you know, your, your laptop and all that sort of stuff. But is there anything that you think that someone starting out, they should, uh, if they're going to invest in something right away when they're starting their company, what should it be? Yeah, so assuming that they have, you know, obviously the, the, the knowledge, then, then I think the one thing that you invest in is like a, a modeling system or, or skill set. Like that could be Excel and, and Excel is great for it. Um, and depending on what you do, that could be Excel, that could be Argus. And I know Excel is not super expensive. It's part of Office, obviously. But, but that, you know, if you can't communicate to yourself, and to your partners and your investors, the opportunity that you're asking them to be part of, then you're going to go nowhere. So, so that sort of financial model, whether you pay someone else to do it, whether you learn it yourself and you need the software, what have you, that, that sort of, you need that. You need to be able to communicate what the opportunity is, and that's the only way to do it. Hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcriptions that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Excellent. So let me ask you this question here then. So how big should my portfolio be to really start to market to, you know, to potential clients? Should you start your website quickly? So before you start saying out that, all right, I'm going to start my own company. Do I need to have all like, like in, if you look at Lowland Property Group's prop, like websites, they already have all their properties listed on there. So if I'm starting, do, should I even bother go to that? Or should I wait till I get a few, you know, a couple of units under management then to kind of show that, look, I have it there. And maybe just until you get to that one or two deals in under your pipe, you kind of keep marketed like in that respect. Yeah, I, I guess it all depends on personality. You know, we, we're not, I, I don't think we're very showy people, but we also understand that in today's world, you, you, you got to sort of 
be out there to some degree. Uh, I think it gives people a sense of security if if they can find you. Um, so a, a landing page, I think, is not you know does, is not harmful. Um, you don't need to put any detail. Even you, you know, it could be coming soon, um, and that doesn't necessarily have to come out at the first property. Uh, I think number one, if you're trying to build that company and and get investors, I think a web page is not going to help that. Um, I, I don't think because uh, chances are it's going to be through your own network, and you really need the opportunity. So. And you need to bring a deal to them and say, here, you know, this is why I'm talking to you. This is good. Uh, and then once you have a couple of those, then you can focus on on the rest of it. Yeah, makes point makes total sense. So, okay, last question on this, on the uh, tips from the pro segment here is, what is your best strategy to kind of deal with, I will say, difficult clients? So now in this case, we can maybe give a couple of different examples. One where it's, you know, the actual client that's saying, I want to, you know, I want to show me a deal versus, Maybe some strategies dealing with maybe dealing with a difficult lender. So, you know, le- lenders there there almost is no strategy. You need them; they don't really need you. Um, you know, but at the same time, when you have a great lender relationship, there's there's nothing better. So, I, I would say, regardless of whether it's a client, and a client could be an investor client or investor partner, or it could be you know, client as the tenant. Like we look at our tenants as clients, customers, like that we, we serve them, um, not the other way around, which I, I think is sort of a very old school way of, of looking at it. People think, you know, you're the landlord, uh, you know, you, you hold the property over them, but uh, tenants are our customers. So I think with all three groups, lenders, uh, customers, investors, it's all about transparency. Um, you know, you just everything comes out in the wash. So the earlier you can just say to people, this is what's going on, the better. So, you know, my only piece of advice for, for any of that is just be open and be honest. The second you're aware of something, make others aware. And so if, if they're being difficult, all you can do is be fair, transparent, reasonable, that that's all you can do. And, and and if, if they don't like it, well, then there's not a good fit there. So for, for a lender at the end of the day, they got to be excited to do the deal and you don't want them catching anything. So if they're being difficult, chances are they probably feel like they either are not a good fit for that deal. Whereas you shouldn't proceed. You should go find another lender or they feel like they found something that you hid from them. Other than that, a lender is not going to be that difficult. Um, and then same with your investor partners. Like, you know, they're only going to be difficult if they either don't understand something that you're not explaining clearly uh, or, you know, they, uh, again, they, you know, something you've held one over on them. And, 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 and I think with everyone, you know, there are difficult landlord-tenant relationships that personalities don't mix, but as long as you're being fair, you're being transparent, you're being clear, then you have that paper trail. And and if it ever gets into anything else, like you can just point to that and say, look, like I was fair. <laughs> I, was, I was open. I was honest. Like, I, I don't know what else to do. I, That's uh, all you can really do really. So l- last question, I just thought of another one here. Any tips to how to, how to lease up your properties? Any quick tips or little tricks that you know, where, you know, you're, Let's say you're 60% occupied, you're leased up 60%. You want to try to bump it up a bit more. Anything you can advise, uh, you know? Yeah. So this is, it's tough, you know, to be honest. Like I, I think brokers are, picking the right broker is is a great, is a great tool. I think a lot of people don't like paying brokers uh, and they think brokers might be sort of hot air, but I think brokers are super valuable. Uh, pick the right broker and and it'll be great. Uh, also reputation. So if you start treating tenants really well and you start, uh, you know, you'll get this reputation amongst your existing tenants and they'll help you lease your properties for you. They'll tell their friends, they'll tell other people, these are, these are great people to work with um, and they're fair and, and that, that helps in the long run. Uh, but there's unfortunately no, no uh, magic bullet to, to lease up a property 
uh, you know, more quickly. Uh, no, or not. I think what you gave was one of the best tips that, that you can possibly give is to really look into that broker, unless you really want to try to do it yourself, which I don't know if you want to do that. Maybe in the beginning, and hopefully you should not. always do it yourself, <laughs> but with a broker. Like the with thing broker, is, yes. is, if you have more hands out there and more, more, more people making more phone calls and and selling it, it's just you know the. You know, if you lease something up one month, two weeks quicker because you had a broker, it's worth paying Save that commission. Time. Excellent. Yeah. So how do you balance, because a lot of owners, when they want to do their own thing, there's that work-life balance that's really challenging. So how were you able to to do it? Or do you have good advice for those who want to get into your space? What are some, how do you balance your work and your, and your personal life? Because you're married and you have children, you have a child right now. I don't know if you have any more pets or goldfish or anything like that. So how do you balance it all out? So you don't get, you don't, what I like to use the analogy, you're not trying to run a marathon at a sprint's pace. Yeah, I, I draw the line at goldfish, you know, that's <laughs> a lot. I wouldn't be able to handle it if I had a goldfish uh, for sure. Uh, you know, it's tough. I think all, all entrepreneurs will, will say this and, and, you know, maybe, Maybe some have figured out something that I haven't, but it, it's really hard to balance. At the end of the day, communication is key with your partner and, and your family and, and all that stuff is is very, very important. And, and you got to have a supportive partner because when things happen, things happen, especially in you know the property management, property ownership side of things, you don't control that. Um, and every business will have that. You know, you have a roof leak and you need to go check it out and open a door for an emergency contractor at 1 a.m. Like, it is what it is. Uh, you can't sort of say, well, hey, you know, honey, I, you know, I, you, I'll take care of this for the next two hours at home. And we'll just let the, you know, let the place flood. You, you got to go. So, um it's tough at first and it's tough during, it's not just at first, it's tough during any major growth side uh, or section of, of your development. It, you know, last year we, we grew exponentially and there were times that were, were really, really tough. Um, so I, I don't necessarily have a great answer, but if you love it and it's what you want to do, you have a supportive partner uh, that sees that, then you'll get through it and it'll be fine. And it won't, it doesn't often feel if ever like a burden to me. I, I, I really enjoy doing it. Sometimes it's, it can be hard. Um, but I, like I said, I, I think if you, if you love it, you just, you find a way to get through it. And if you have a supportive partner, then they get it. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. So now we're just going to wrap things up. This is the rapid fire round. We're just going to have a bunch of more lighthearted questions. Everything was so serious and all that sort of stuff. So it's nice to have some some more more relaxed ones. So, all right, question number one, Tim. What would the 15-year-old self thinking you'd be doing right now? Probably doing something with either history or sports. Well, it's very different from history and sports. Very, very, very different. I loved history and, and I loved uh, playing basketball and, and, and all that stuff. So I'm sure they would have wanted, I would have wanted me to do something in either of those areas. Can the Raptors pull it off this year? We're down four to, we're down <laughs> maybe, three to two. Maybe. I wouldn't have said that before yesterday's game, but maybe. Maybe. Excellent. So, all right. So what is your current guilty pleasure? Oh, I got a few of them. Um depends on my mood but it's some sort of some sort of junk food you know <laughs> sitting on the couch having chocolate or popcorn it, it's something well that was the thing my next question i'll make these last couple of questions about food have you ever eaten a whole and i'm gonna leave it a blank yourself you name it it's probably happened <laughs> anyone in particular that you really enjoy eating by yourself then um like a whole, like I had someone tell me, I had someone tell me a lobster and I was like, you had a whole lobster by yourself. So I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Cause I think most people think, Oh, pizza or, you know, I would, in my twenties, I used to be on every good Friday. I would always do a cheese lovers stuffed crust pizza from pizza hut every good Friday. Right. And in my early twenties, I could probably eat the whole pizza by myself. Now, unless I want my heart to explode, I don't think I want to do that. Yeah, well, pizza is a good one, and I, I was just in Boston this weekend, and I, I 
I hate to say me and a few friends, we all went and we all ate a whole pizza on, on Saturday to ourselves. So, um, large or medium? It was a large, yeah. Deep dish or thin crust? Well, I wouldn't say like regular, regular sort of right? like a regular pie shop. Um, yeah, so it was it was a lot. hadn't done it in a while, and and it was a lot. <laughs> How did you Happy feel afterwards? I did it, but yeah. not killing to do it again. <laughs> Excellent. So, what is one subscription that you have that you cannot live without? The easy answer would be like Netflix, but you know, actually, the the one that I've had the last couple of years that I never thought I couldn't live without was actually Globe and Mail. Um, and the the reason why I say it is we're bombarded with so much, you know, uh, un and I don't mean this in a formal way, but unregulated news these days. Um, and to pay for something and to pay for content where that producer pays their writers you know, properly to do a good job and get good sources. Uh, that's actually been a, a one that I don't think I, I'd ever get rid of now. Interesting. Globe and Mail, or like, just like a subscription to, to that. Because, yeah, I think most people think, oh, yeah, this is the streaming services they can't live without. Or, you know, I can't think of anything else. Or like, like someone said food delivery service. Like, I think they get like a monthly box of like natural groceries that comes to their door. And then they think they can't live without that. So, okay. Interesting. So they can name a sandwich after you. What would be in it and what would you call it? Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, a lot of my friends call me TK, so I, I think it's kind of catchy. It could be a sandwich, I guess, the TK. I don't know. Um, I would probably, my wife is, is like Vietnamese Canadian and I can tell you, like, I can eat Vietnamese food every single day, all day. Uh, so probably some sort of, you know, buttered beef with cilantro, cucumber, something that's, like, heavy and light and flavorful all at the same time. So something Vietnamese with a little bit of, like, a, you know, Canadian beef-like twist on it. But, yeah, cilantro, lime, and cucumber, it's called all the that yeah. There you yeah. go. Keep That's it simple. A, keep it simple. All right. Last question, Tim. What is your theme song and why? So if that if that song hits, you're walking down the street, that song hits, if people hear that song, they know Tim's coming. There's probably I don't know, can't can't stop by the chili red hot chili peppers. I, I think that would be one that just sort of gets gets me going. I, I, I think most people, you know, would say that if I sort of if I'm sort of excited about something, then I, I, I sort of dig into it and, and go after it in a high energy on, on it. So I think that song would be a good good theme song for me. Nice. And all right, final plug for your company, Tim. Where can people reach out to you guys? Yeah, lowland.ca is is our website. Lowland Properties is our Instagram handle. Uh, you can find us on, on LinkedIn as well. But Instagram and our, our website are, are probably the, the best places to see what we're up to. All right. Thanks, Tim, for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Ken.